Hey there, Tom Block. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. Appreciate the fact that you guys have stomached Keith and I for as long as you have. We enjoy bringing the show your way and appreciate your patronage. Want to remind you, by the way, that the season ticket renewal deadline is rapidly approaching. It's in mid-April, April 15th. If you haven't renewed your season tickets for football, go ahead and do so for the 2022 season. A lot to like based on what we've seen so far at spring practice. For all the information, go to Seminoles.com backslash tickets. Uh, that's if you're going to renew or if you want to get tickets for the first time, you can get a reserve seat for all home games. Uh, they range in price from 330 bucks to 800 bucks uh, all in, depending on the seat location. Again, Seminoles.com backslash tickets to answer those questions as we count it down to the 2022 campaign. That said, let's count it down to the start of Front Row Knowles, which is right now. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. We welcome you to Front Row Knowles. Keith is at the beach. He is living large, I think. Are you enjoying things? It had not conducive weather for the full trip, but still the beach is the beach, Keith. The beach is the beach. We had some cold weather uh, over the weekend and then rain the first of the week, but uh, I'm not home and uh, there's not as many honeydews down here and very few rules. So uh, I'm enjoying it. I don't know if I'm living large. I am just large. I'm not living large. I'm just too large. I'm not going to judge that because I'm in the same boat. And if we were in the same boat together, that might be problematic. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, let's let's dive into this. Appreciate you, by the way. Uh, Not not. I mean, you're phoning it in from the beach, but you didn't just mail it in as in not doing a show. So we, we do appreciate that. Uh, we're going to talk with coach Sue Semrau coming up in a little bit, but, uh, and, and congratulations to her and her program, which is just a model of consistency. And they're back in the NCAA tournament again, 16 out of 17 years now for her team, the men's team. We, we do have to revisit this because, uh, last this show aired Keith, it was at the same time that Syracuse just scored again, uh, on the Florida state men's team last Wednesday. And, uh, and prior to that, lopsided outcome I really felt like FSU would have an opportunity to go to the NIT but it didn't materialize that way and it's uh, it's left me with an empty feeling one that we haven't had in some time because the job that Leonard has done over the last several years uh, I thought even in a year of regression a little bit that, that that they might be able to get into the postseason but it just didn't pan out that way well everything was pointing that way in the early going Uh, When you get hit with injuries and the type of injuries that uh, Leonard and his staff did that the the men's program got hit with, you know, it's like, you know, how do you win horse races if you don't have, you know, your, your, your best horses? How do you, uh, how do you play baseball? How do you play football when everybody's in the, in the mash unit, so to speak? Uh, It's just difficult. And um, I thought things were coming together there at the end. You know, I would be interested. I don't know that anyone would admit. I haven't heard. I haven't asked. But I would be interested to know if uh, part of the reason they didn't go to the NIT is they let the folks know that they didn't really want to go. I I don't know the answer to that. I'm I'm just suspect on my part uh, because that might have been part of the undoing as well. 
but it is disappointing. Now, it's disappointing in the short term. Uh, as you and I talked last time, you know, on, on senior day, there, there's six kids that are leaving or seven, and they've got six in the signing class coming in. And all of them, uh, you know, very highly thought of for different reasons. So, you know, the proverbial reloading, uh, you know, can take place. And obviously, we know that Leonard and his staff haven't forgotten how to coach in a year. Uh, so it's just, uh, you know, having the right pieces and having the healthy pieces and the healthy uh, kids to perform on the court. Uh, but, yeah, it's disappointing. And I'm sure uh, Leonard will be the first to tell you he's disappointed. But, you know, we, we talk about turning the page. He's as good as anybody about turning the page. Not realistic at all to think, given the injuries, that they would have made the NCAA tournament this year. And candidly, if you were going to pick two guys you didn't want to get hurt, the two guys you least wanted to lose, you lost both of them in Osborne and Polite. I mean, those were the veteran guys yep. who – who, who were the leaders on the team uh, with respect to Raekwon, who was terrific this year. But I really feel like those two more than any, if you were going to rank them at the beginning of the year, you would have ranked those one, two as the guys you don't want to lose. That said, it, it's not the missing the tournament at the end, Keith. It's the going out the way they did with, with just, just packing it in. That's not something that Leonard's teams have done. And it just makes me wonder is there a chemistry challenge in there? Is it just purely because everybody is so young? I just think there's going to be some changes in there as, as we move forward. And obviously we don't know if any of those veterans are coming back. They do have a COVID year if they wanted to come back. It just That was the most curious part to me or maybe the most disappointing part about the end of the season. Well, and, and I, I hear you. I don't know that I echo that simply from the standpoint they were what, two of 28 from three? against Syracuse, I mean, you're going to lose to anybody by 30 or 40 if you're shooting that poorly. Um, you know, uh, it's just it's just disappointing. And uh, I know there have been times when they shot lights out, uh, and then that was one time you didn't want to not be able to get the ball through the hoop. Uh, but, yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, I have every confidence, however, uh, in, in, in Coach Ham and his staff and uh, the recruits coming in. Um, you know, these things happen. Uh, you cannot – you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Control. You can't control injuries for the most part. And sometimes you just get, you just get snake bit. They certainly were that this year. All right. So we'll turn the page on that. Although Bob Ferrante will join us later on. We'll let him offer some final thoughts on men's basketball. We'll get some more comments from the football practice field. Now the team has not practiced since Friday. Uh, I have been out to practice since you and I last convened for this show. So we'll get into that football conversation. Sue Semrau, as I mentioned in our next segment, she and the Knowles headed to a ninth straight NCAA tournament. They'll play in Baton Rouge against Missouri State on Thursday. So they're in the postseason. And then maybe the, uh, I don't want to call it the biggest news. It was big that the women's team got into the tournament. But the baseball team with what they did on Sunday, Keith, and I know because I used to travel with baseball, you, you drop a Friday opener and they got I think it was nine, three or something like that. And then you get postponed on Saturday. That's 48 hours of sitting around stewing. And that doesn't bode well and doesn't happen often for baseball, but they responded by sweeping a double header. And I, that was a, a big time double header sweep for them on Sunday. I would agree. I would agree. Of course, a little disappointment that they got rained out uh, in their game down in Gainesville. I think they're going to make that up on what I read 17th of May. So it's still a couple of, a couple of months away from before going back to Hogtown. 
but uh, yeah, Saturday, excuse me, Sunday was uh, quite an impressive feat. Back-to-back wins in that doubleheader. Aaron Fitt, who's uh, long been a, a national, you know, on the short list of college baseball experts, he he said he thinks Florida State's got the best pitching staff in America right now, and he was at the Wake Forest series. That's that's saying something. All right, we'll step aside. Coach Sue will join us next. We are just getting cranked up here in Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Always a pleasure when we get to welcome the smiling face of Coach Sue Semrau to the program. Tom Block, Keith Jones back with you. And we are joined by Coach Sue as we open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline. Sue, how are you? Oh, I'm great. You know, it, it's always nice and uh, to be with you guys in the month of March. It means good things are happening. Well, and for you, good things generally are happening in March. This is nine straight years into the tournament. Although this one, you had to you had to sweat it out, which has not been typical for you. So just how nerve-wracking was that experience the other night? Yeah, I felt like we had done the work. You know, I, I felt like um, it wasn't as nerve-wracking um, as you would have imagined. Um, I think the, the field of 68 uh, for the first time uh, helped us, obviously. Uh, you know, but just the what the kids had done you know, to overcome all of the setbacks that we had early. Um, I was, was really confident that they had done enough. Talk a little bit about that, Sue. The last couple of weeks of the season, uh, you, we use the term you rounded into form or whatever expression you want, but it did finally come together. Well, you know, early in the year, uh, we had injuries uh, and we had freshman point guards and, uh, you know, we were just trying to get some type of rhythm with players that, you know, hadn't played together. Uh, they, they were in and out for, for different reasons. Um, and we felt, felt like we were starting to get there. And uh, then we went home for Christmas for three days. And uh, when we came back, uh, there was a decision made that we had to uh, test for COVID. And even though the rest of the ACC and NCAA schools, it was not a requirement. Uh, it was a requirement for us. And we lost a lot of different people at different times um, at a critical point in the season. And so to go and play your first game after Christmas without Morgan Jones, who was asymptomatic but had tested positive, um, it was it put us at a disadvantage trying to get that rhythm back. So. You know, when, when we finally got moving into the season um, and we knew that the last 10 games are huge to the NCAA committee, we just said, guys, we got to have seven of these last 10. And, you know, they did. They delivered and we were able to stay relatively healthy. Coach, I didn't want to ask you a COVID question because I feel like that's all Keith and I have done for two years. It's the way the world's been. But as a coach, do you just put it in the bucket of things you can't control, like a, a poor call from an official or whatever, because all your consternation isn't going to change anything. You just got to do what you got to do and, and turn the page and move on. I learned a lot from Brooke with that, because obviously I didn't have to go through it last year. And when we lost our first game, like we didn't play a full schedule. And so when we lost our first game because another team had COVID, 
I went nuts trying to reschedule a game and figure this out. And they're like, go ahead and keep trying, but it's going to be really, really tough. And we never got that game. So yeah, it really is all you can do. Um, but it, and it also gives you a little bit of a different expectation as a coach, like what are we going to be able to do with all of the differences that we're trying to uh, meld together, if you will. Uh, so it was tough, really tough. Coaches always talk about each year, each group is different. Uh, I always like to ask the open and what, what do you like about this group now that you've got 30 games with them? Well, I really do. I like the, the attention uh, that they put to the game of basketball. Like they, they are students of the game. They really want to understand uh, the why behind the what. And when you have a group of people like that, film sessions are fun. You know, you get a chance, scouts are fun. And so I do enjoy all of that. And I've got, you know, a, a deep bench. I don't know if that's worked in my favor or not. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, I can, I going into this potential three game weekend, it's, it's nice to know that we have that depth. Talking with Sue Semrau on the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. Sue, you, your star player is Morgan Jones, who's two times first team all ACC. She leads your team in about every category. What's her legacy going to be at Florida State? Where does, where does she rank? You've coached a lot of great players, but uh, kind of define her legacy. Well, you know, again, I think she came um, and was part of every NCAA team every year. Uh, you know, she's done, she's done what we wish players would visualize when they come into a program. She has been able to come in, develop her game, learn the system, and then take the keys. You know, a lot of times people want to come in and they think they can just run the program and, and they know what to do and they, they're, they get it better than anybody else. And Morgan, she waited her turn. She played behind some great players, you know, Nikki Kamu, Naja Wolf, those guys that, you know, Shakela Thomas. I mean, she played with some great players. And, you know, now she understands what it's like and what, what it means to have, you know, that, that pressure on your shoulders, if you will. First came up, uh, Missouri State. What do you know about them? I, I, I looked real quick. I couldn't find that Florida State had ever played them before, but I may have missed something. Well, you might have because they used to be Southwest Missouri State. Um, and well, that I, would explain it, wouldn't it? There you go. Uh, they changed their name a few years back. Um, they're a very good basketball team, a really good basketball program. Uh, they've been good for years and years. Um, they Their defense is one of the top 50 in the country. Their offensive rebounding is in the top 30 in the country. So – they they are going to to pose a lot on that on both ends of the floor a lot of issues and uh you know we've been working really hard to to prepare for them and certainly um you know just because they're not from a power five conference doesn't mean they're not um, a power five team i know you'll say your freshmen aren't freshmen anymore when they've played a full season uh, at this point but they've not played a postseason which can be more physical. It can be more stressful. Uh, you've got two, two freshmen who I think made the all ACC freshman team. So 
what do you do? What can the teammates, uh, their peers do to get them ready for what the 40 minutes will be like? Yeah, I think the ACC tournament helps that, I will say. Um, we look at that as a postseason warm-up. And, but you're absolutely right. You know, they've gone up against, you know, physical players in the ACC, you know, game after game after game. And uh, they have a good understanding, I think, of what that feels like. Uh, but there's also a huge excitement about your first NCAA tournament. So I think they'll, they'll balance each other out. I mentioned at the top of the interview, Sue, that you've been, I think, nine straight years now in the NCAAs. And as I look at your notes, there's only eight other schools that can make that claim. And it's UConn and Tennessee and South Carolina. What does it mean to you? And I, you're tired of me asking this, but you know where you came from to, to be in that echelon, uh, you know, on a short list with that kind of annual prestige. Well, you know, Tom, 25 years ago, when I took this job, that was the vision, you know, to, to be an elite basketball program. And in order to do that, you've got to be an NCAA team. And, you know, I, somebody, I think Steve put out that we've been to 16 of the last 17 tournaments. And, and I was like, wow, you know, but that is what we do. The players know that is what we do. Um, we said no to the NIT before we knew if we were going to be in the NCAA tournament because Florida State goes to the NCAA tournament. And they found a way, and it feels really good for them to understand uh, the legacy that a lot of these players and teams have left behind. Coach, we talk a lot uh, when we have the opportunity with you because you're so articulate and you look at what's happening on the ladies' side of the ledger with soccer and softball and with basketball. And uh, it. You know, as a former athlete, you, you always admire consistency and excellence. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing that uh, to a great degree on the ladies' side, like we saw for years and years on football, baseball, and basketball on the men's side. Yeah, no, it's, it's really amazing to work with these coaches on the women's side, too, who are at the top of their game. They, they demand excellence. And, you know, we talk all the time that Florida State in general, men's and women's we are you know a program that an elite program that desires excellence and we i've been through five different presidents five different athletic directors and i'm really excited about the vision that we have now going forward that you know continues to include you know women and women's athletics because whether it seems like it or not right now this is amateur sports <laughs> and in amateur sports, men, men, male athletes and female athletes, according to the law, are supposed to be treated equally, not whether they generate revenue or not, or whether they get the, the fans in the stands, all those things. Is it the chicken or the egg? I mean, women didn't have an opportunity for years and years. We're celebrating the, the 50th anniversary of Title IX this year and what that did to change things. Even on the women's side, uh, we had a, a Zoom conference yesterday with all the head coaches that are in the NCAA tournament. And they talked to us about how now March Madness is not just a men's uh, saying, it's a women's saying. How, you know, the swag bags, th that's the least of my worries, but obviously that was a big deal last year, how they are... They are identical. 
how the, the, the signage is identical, all of those things. And, you know, quite frankly, I would have preferred an apology before we heard that, um, but we've come a long way. And I'm really proud of the, of the women's coaches and, and players at every, in every sport at Florida State. Come a long way and still ways to go as well. And uh, always appreciate you joining us. So you've been five presidents, but it's only two co-hosts of Front Row Knowles during That's your That's exactly right. Yes. <laughs> the consistency, right, Keith? That's it. right, Coach. That's right. We, we weren't doing this show as, as when you first started, but we were around <laughs> when you first started. Hey, safe, safe travels and uh, best of luck. Uh, you know, enjoy it. And, and hopefully there's there's three games and another weekend ahead. Thank you guys so much. Appreciate both of you. Coach you Samrao, longtime uh, women's basketball coach at Florida State. We'll take a break. Come back with more Front Row Knowles right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles. Thanks for tuning in. As always, we come your way each and every Wednesday at this time, and we're going to reopen the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And say hello to Bob Ferranti from the Osceola. Hey, Bob, how are you, sir? Doing well. How are you guys? We're good. We're good. It's uh, potpourri today because it's spring break, so uh, we've got all the sports in the hat. Which one would you like to start with? <laughs> I think it's been a, a pretty good weekend for, for baseball and softball. You want to start there? Sure. Sure. Let, let's go there. Uh, yeah. Softball up to number two in some of the polls and baseball. I commented to Keith in our first segment that uh, Aaron fit, who's on the very short list of college baseball experts was at that wake forest series. And uh, he's on record now saying Florida state's got the best pitching staff in the country. In his opinion, I think it's uh, Texas tech, maybe lost an arm, but uh, regardless, that's a pretty strong comment. And that was a pretty big doubleheader sweep for Mike Martin Jr. on Sunday. Yeah, I don't think you expect anything like that uh, going up on the road, really, really cold weather. Um, how's the team kind of respond in those, you know, tough to play in those circumstances when you're a Florida team going up north. And I thought to, to hit the ball as well as they did and, and really to get some kind of lights out pitching performances from, you know, from Hubbard and Dunn on, on Sunday. Um you know, if, if you haven't seen him over on Twitter, there's uh, some great highlights of Dunn's 14 strikeouts. I mean, the breaking ball was just, there's just, it's unhittable. It's just absolutely unhittable when that kid is on. So it's fun to watch. And, um, and yeah, I think it's a big, big series win for them as far as just kind of building confidence going to this ACC schedule. And, and we, we've, we've kind of critiqued them and, and maybe appropriately so, but in the end, they've, pulled off, you know, four series wins here and, and, and looking like in, in good shape here, you know, going to the meat of the ACC schedule. wonder if, uh, we'll never know, but I wonder if uh, riding that momentum, uh, losing the Florida game on Tuesday night because of weather, wonder if that uh, was something that uh, ends up being a bad thing, if, if, if I'm couching that in the right way. Yeah, I think we'll always kind of play the hypothetical out. I'd love to have seen Carson Montgomery against the, the Florida lineup and just kind of see how he attacks it. Um, he obviously had that experience from last year, but he was he was a different pitcher. He was a, a guy who just didn't have that kind of command. And I think we'll see him Wednesday night against Bethune-Cookman. And, 
you know, just kind of keep playing out the midweek schedule as it is. And that's, that's going to be good for Carson because, you know, this Florida game will be rescheduled down in Gainesville. They'll, the order will be adjusted. So they'll go uh, to Jacksonville in a couple weeks and then back to Tallahassee and then, then Gainesville in, in May. So, yeah, it, it's kind of an unusual set of circumstances where uh, you'd love to play the game and you'd love to push it back to a Wednesday, but for us, they had Bethune on the schedule and just, just something you can't work around with uh, with these kind of early season rainouts. On the softball diamond, Bob, we had Lonnie on before the season started, and now our team is, I don't know, 22-1 and one as we're speaking, something like that, 21-1, and one, number two in the country. It, it, there's, there's more punch in the lineup, I think, than there was a year ago. Uh, the, the problem is the number one team is Oklahoma, which hasn't lost yet. And, you know, we know what Oklahoma looks like from a year ago. But what's your what's your thoughts? Have you have you had a chance to watch them play this year? Yeah, I've enjoyed watching them, you know, mostly, you know, from the streaming broadcast. It's it's been impressive to watch. I mean, they're they're hitting 311 and, you know, up and down the lineup. It, the averages are, are considerably higher than than last year, if you compare it. Of course, the the pitching is experienced with uh, with Kat Sandercock and Daniel Watson. Um, so I think they've kind of got that mix that they're looking for of, of, of hitting and pitching and, and the defense has been, you know, again, really, really solid. Can't, can't really complain too much with, uh, with 10 errors and in 24 games. So yeah, you know, it, it's, it's been good to watch them play. And of course this will be a showdown Wednesday night, uh, up in Tuscaloosa, two top five teams with Florida state and Alabama. So that'll be entertaining to watch and, and kind of see. Um, some of those matchups that we we caught last year in Oklahoma City, as far as you know, Florida State and Bama, um, how how much will runs be at a premium? But but these are really great games as you kind of get deeper into the ACC schedule too, just to kind of prepare yourself for for the competition you're going to face. Bob, Tom, and I talked about it a little bit. Um, you know, switching gears over to the men's side on basketball. Uh, a disappointing loss is an end of a disappointing season, but I don't think there's any reason to panic. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think, again, another hypothetical, what happens if you don't lose so many guys to injury? How does this season play out? And you know, I think it is disappointing that you lose certain games, such as, you know, say, home to pit, road Boston College, games like that feel like, yeah, you, you've, you've got the talent to be able to pull them off. But I think this this team was kind of just hit over the head um, just constantly by injuries and the constant rotational changes just impacted them from a chemistry and leadership standpoint more than, than maybe we'll ever kind of be able to wrap our heads around. Uh, you know, now we kind of turn our attentions to what are the decisions by the seniors? You know, there's there's three guys who can come back, and that's, uh, that's Anthony Polite, Malik Osborne, Wyatt Wilkes. They've got the choice to come back. And then you've also got to look to the portal because guys will, you know, of course, decide that the grass is greener and, and a team like Florida State should be looking at, you know, some big men, some, some guys out there who are potential options. You know, really, if you lost a guy like Malik Osborne, you need to go out and find a leader and a rebounder, a, a big man who can set the tone on the inside and alter shots and block shots. But I, I think there's a lot of, of good when you look at the core of this roster and who comes back. But then you also kind of look at the questions as far as just what pieces decide to stay and be a part of of the long-term plan, both for themselves and the program. And then guys who are just kind of thinking, well, I, I may, may just try somewhere else. That's my question is related to the core guys you're talking about, the freshmen and then Caleb Mills. Do, do you think they're all going to be back? 
or do you think there's some chemistry challenges there or, or I don't know, guys that may want to move on? I'm, I'm just curious how that shakes out. Yeah, I mean, the, the core guys are, are the – they were six first-year guys in, in the 21-22 season plus Quincy Ballard. And, you know, respectfully, I, I think I have some questions just not having seen enough of Quincy on the court. You know, can he help you at, at a school like Florida State? Or is he better suited for a mid-major? Is that a scholarship that you might want to move to then kind of go into the portal? I, I think, you know, you look at Matthew Cleveland and Caleb Mills, they're, they're guys who have shown just incredible talent. And, and Cleveland scored in double figures. I think it was nine straight games to close the year. And, yeah, I mean, they're, they're showing that they are capable of one day being in the NBA. The problem is I don't think that that one day is, you know, three, four, five months away as you kind of get preparing for the next NBA season. It, it's, not, it, it's not like they are ready to go in and, and play. So, you know, you're definitely rolling the dice if you are a player who's just not prepared there aren't enough roster spots and, and, and maybe you get sent to the G league or you're, you're stuck overseas, which nothing wrong with that, but it, it is not the NBA. If that's your ultimate goal as a player like Matthew Cleveland and Caleb Mills, and, and that should be your goal. You know, you can see a route to that, but I think the route includes an extra year in Tallahassee or an extra year in college to help develop yourself. I, I think there's a core there that, that can and will stay but, but the question just is, are you committed to the overall, um, not just teammates and program, but the, the philosophy? And at times we didn't see enough defensive buy-in. I think that was the, the big kind of letdown often was just, it didn't feel like the perimeter defense was, was engaged in doing its job and following the scouting report and the game plan. And, you know, yes, you had some issues inside defensively just because of injury, of course, but. It, it didn't feel like there was enough from, from the guys who were able to go night in and night out. Um, so I, I, do, I do expect some movement as far as who that is and when. I, I think who is a challenge when it is really in these next three, four weeks because there was a lot more movement in April of last year when we saw guys like Raekwon Gray, Balsha Kopravica move on to, uh, to pro ball. And then we also saw you know, a couple of smaller moves like, like Nate Jack and um, Sardar Calhoun went to the transfer portal. So I think we're still probably a couple more weeks away before the, the pieces kind of moving on and, and, and kind of the dust settling before the coaches know just how many scholarships they have to play with. We had always seen some movement uh, on the basketball side, uh, even prior to COVID, prior to the portal. Uh, but it, it just seems to lend itself, I guess, because of the, the, smaller number of players, those that choose to go in stand out. You don't get lost in the 85 that you get lost in on the football side. But you're right, April has become a very interesting time in college basketball. Yeah, it's. I, I think it's always been tough in basketball because you never know when you can lose a guy to the NBA. But at the same time, now you never know when you're going to lose him to the transfer portal and – Perhaps there's there's enough money out there between the NBA's G League, the developmental league, and Europe. There might be enough money out there to entice someone who just says, "Hey, you know, right now I need the money, or my family needs the money, and and I I've either got a degree, or I'm close enough, or I think I can wrap it up." So the from a roster management standpoint, I, I don't envy guys like you know Leonard Hamilton and Stan Jones, Charlton Young, Steve Smith. They've they've got a really tough job on their hands as far as figuring out, um, 
you know, again, which seniors might come back, which of the underclassmen are, are kind of having, having a wandering eye as far as what might be an option out there for me. Um, I think in a, in a perfect world, we'd love to see as many of these guys stay because they're, they're great players. They're really good teammates. And, and we can maybe see what a fully healthy roster can accomplish. But, but the perfect world doesn't really play out. And the reality is the, the, the portal is here to stay. I, I would just say, I, I think long-term, I do think Coach Hamilton has admitted multiple times that you've got to go into the portal and you've got to um, be more active than even they have been in the past few years. They certainly have, but I think they know now to compete with schools like Wake Forest, which basically went out and got five transfers to, to ramp up this season with Steve Forbes. There are a lot of programs within the ACC and around college basketball that are just getting older and getting that experience by going into the portal. And then, you know, we'll have to see how that experience plays out in the postseason, the NCAA tournament for a lot of these teams. But historically, experience and veteran players make you really, really good in an NCAA tournament setting. So I think that's another reason why, you know, Coach Hamilton and staff should really examine that as they kind of figure out how this roster is going to piece together. We're talking with our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. Let's bounce over to football, even though the team is on spring break this week. As we do so, I'll remind our listeners that the uh, renewal deadline for season tickets is uh, April 15th. So renew your tickets if you haven't done so yet. All the info is online at seminoles.com backslash tickets. And if you're not drinking the Kool-Aid yet, Bob and I are about to uh, serve you some. Uh, I say that, Bob, you and I really haven't conversed about it. I was out of practice last week, but uh, I think your general impressions are that this has definitely been a step forward through four practices. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think you're, you're seeing the energy, the enthusiasm, the competition is, again, it's completely different from a year ago. And I think the biggest takeaway from the spring of 2021 was guys aren't catching passes consistently. The offense is not in gear there's still too many guys who don't look like they know what they're supposed to do. And it wasn't disorganized. It wasn't like the coaches didn't have it structured, right? It just wasn't familiar to guys. And now you go out there and it's like, Whoa, it's, it's, it feels just totally different. And I think at times you listen to coach Norvell and he seems happier, even though he's coaching hard and even though he's, he's in guys face and he's chasing them down and coaching them and, but also praising them. I think you, he, I think he can tell you that there is a noticeable difference this year. Um, honestly, the big star to me has been Micah Pittman, and it's at a position where you, you had to have a, a star, a guy, kind of break out and say, "I'm going to set a standard or a bar. Let's have every other receiver try and come up and and kind of match my level of of play." And, and again, on Friday, I think everybody's kind of read about it, and you know, unfortunately, there wasn't video at that opportunity within practice, but. Micah laid out for a pass and caught it. And then he caught another pass in the end zone, you know, a touchdown in red zone drills, what was hotly contested pass that he went up for. We don't see plays like that typically, especially laying out for and, and calling in a pass in a practice setting. It's, it's just something that has not been seen these past few years. I think doing something like that sets a tone for the teammates to say, we can do more. We can go out there, the quarterback is putting it in an area, we need to get under it and get to that ball. And I think that that elevates the play of everybody around you, not just the, the quarterbacks and receivers, but I think everybody else kind of wants to 
ramp up what they can do to, to match that. A lot of reports coming out about improved linebacker play as well. What have been your observations with that segment? Yeah, I think there's a, a lot of different things developing. And it's, it's another good storyline just because we know the linebacker play has been kind of subpar. It's been an issue you know, well before Coach Norvell came in. But I, I like the way Randy Shannon coaches. He's very, very hands-on, a lot of energy. Um, after every rep, he's, he's coaching hard and explaining what you did right, what you did wrong. And a guy like Tatum Bethune from UCF, the transfer, it, it's very clear he's a guy who can help you. I don't know and won't say he's going to start. Don't know if they're going to go two linebackers or three. I think it's going to be based on situations and opponents. But I do think a guy like Tatum Bethune can help and can play a lot. And I think we're seeing confidence in guys like Kalen Deloach. He he looks good, looks very comfortable. Uh, DJ Lundy looks a little bit slimmer. Don't know how many pounds he's he's lost um, since last season. Would be curious to hear him say, okay, what did you weigh around the Florida game in November? What do you weigh now? You know, how much better do you feel? Because it, it does look like he's moving around better. So I think you've got you've got some pieces there that you can you can play with. I think Amari Gaynor is a guy you could use as a kind of an edge rush type too. So you've got some different skill sets there, some guys with experience. And I feel I feel definitely better about that room than let's say in twenty twenty. We did see growth in twenty one. I think we'll see kind of continued improvement this uh, this spring and going into camp too. Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider, who went all the way to Gainesville just to find out FSU Florida baseball was rained out. That's not totally true. He's, he's got family there. But, Bob, we appreciate you joining us. As always, hope you enjoyed a night off last night. Definitely did. Thanks for, uh, thanks for talking with me. All righty. We appreciate it. As always, we'll come back and wrap up Front Row Knowles right after this. Back on Front Row Knowles as we wrap things up. Tom and KJ with you. You know, one thing we didn't mention, Keith, uh, Winston Wright, receiver who transferred in from uh, Wisconsin, was in a car accident. And I I think Knowles 24-7 is who broke this story. I don't know if others are reporting it. Uh, He wasn't the driver, and the car he was in was not at fault. But uh, it apparently was a pretty severe accident. And we don't know what his status is. Obviously, uh, general well-being and health would be the primary concern. And after that, we'll figure out the football part. Uh, that said, the team is on spring break. They'll get back at it next week, and uh, and then they'll they'll go right up until the spring game. Keith, I'm curious when you when you played, spring was held in the May, right? It's always struck me as curious that you start spring practice and then you immediately take ten days off before you come back to it. Well, the uh, the adage when I was playing because we were on the quarter system, um, you know, the first uh, so the quarter of uh, what we call the winter quarter was dominant mat drills and, and lifting. And uh, my mindset was always spring break. Yeah, I got to go get in training so I don't die on the football field when practice starts because we didn't have acclimation days and those types of things. So it, and it, it was 20 practices, not 15, and it snowed every time and you walked uphill with no shoes on and all the other things that we talk about. But <laughs> I trained for a week, so I didn't die when I got on the field uh, when we started. That's, that was my spring break. <laughs> well, they'll be back soon enough. They'll be back next week. And uh, the spring game is the second Saturday in April. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Keith, I was uh, at practice last Wednesday. I've only been to one practice so far. That was the first day that the pads came on. And uh, if, if our listeners that are listening to this show have been following plenty of accounts, uh, there's certainly a lot more bodies out there. I made this comment to you and a lot more that 
look like they should be out there. But but beyond that, you see improved play. You see better athletic ability at a lot of different positions, and and that's a good sign. It doesn't mean that they're uh, you know they're perfect, but it certainly means they're steps in the right direction. I think the offensive line they 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 brought in two guys who really can play and are going to make a difference there. Whether or not they both start, they're both going to be in the first seven or eight, so they're they're going to get reps. Uh, the receiving core has improved. Jordan Travis has taken a step forward. Tate Rodemaker's uh, taken a step forward. Uh, Tatum Bethune can play. He's going to start at linebacker. The freshman DBs look good. Even the defensive ends uh, outside of verse uh, look good. Now, again, it, it's hard to know until you're playing an opponent. But I, I just – because when it's all your team, obviously it's all upside, right? But I, I do think there's been a lot to like uh, in, in a short time at spring practice so far. The, the, the strength of Florida State's program over the last 35, 40 years has been competition in practice. Uh, that's when you get better, is when you're being pushed by the, the person behind you. And if you're the person behind, you're trying to catch the person ahead of you. And unless and until the program gets back to where practice and competition in practice uh, is of that level, that, that intensity, uh, that to me is when Florida State will football will be back where it needs to be. And you start hearing conversations about that. You start hearing uh, anecdotal information about that with players, you know, jawing at one another after a catch or no catch, uh, et cetera. That's what it's going to take to get Florida State football back where it belongs. It's heading the right way. It is heading the right way. Uh, they'll be back from spring break next week. Baseball is back at it tonight against Bethune-Cookman, and then they host North Carolina State over the weekend, another big ACC series. And Keith and I will be back next Wednesday, as always. Good luck to Sue Semrau and her program tomorrow in the NCAA tournament. We thank her for joining us, as always. Till next week, he's Keith. I'm Tom. We'll talk to you again soon on Front Row Knowles.